It's no secret there's been a lack of news since spring practice started. Especially this past week with OU being on spring break, there's literally been nothing outside of your typical recruiting news, of course. So, I'd like to try something a little different for this opening take. You're presumably listening to this podcast because, like me, you love Oklahoma football, or love college football in general. When you love something or someone to the point where it has an outsized impact on your life, there are always little things about that thing or that person that you come to appreciate. Whether it be the way your wife brushes away her hair, the way a pet looks at you when they want attention, or some random line in your favorite movie that makes you smile. Humans seem to always find a unique way to appreciate and remember the little things. Well, I would like to share with everyone one of those little things in my life related to OU football. And my hope is that some of you will also have similar memories like this. Ones that, from the outside looking in, don't seem all too exciting to a neutral observer, but really impact you on a personal level. It was the fall of 2001. The family was living in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time. And on this particular day, we were having pay-per-view issues. The date was October 6th, 2001, and the third-ranked Oklahoma Sooners were taking on the fifth-ranked Texas Longhorns in the Red River Shootout. Now, I don't have uh, crystal clear memories about how much of the game we missed. Uh, Perhaps Lee could fill in some gaps, I don't know. But I do remember hopping in the car with Lee and Dad to drive around town looking for a restaurant or bar where the game was on. At that time, I was nowhere near as neurotic as I would be now if I were missing the first half of OU Texas, but I do recall my dad being pretty frustrated that we couldn't find a place with the game on. In retrospect, I probably didn't realize how massive of a game this was at the time, but my dad certainly did. There was going to be nothing keeping us from watching that game. And after having no luck with a couple different places, we were finally able to find a restaurant showing the game. It was lightly populated, maybe a smattering of people at the bar and a couple of families eating a late lunch. It was like a TGI Fridays-like place, nothing fancy. Thankfully, we were able to be seated near a large TV showing the game. We were in business. I truthfully do not remember much from the game other than OU was leading 7-3 to for a majority of it, and there were just tons of tense moments, lots of shifts in momentum, whatnot. Of course, the part I do remember from the game is something I will never forget, and is the OU football moment I replay more in my head than anything else. That's happened you know, since then. With two minutes and six seconds remaining in the game, and Texas backed up at their own two-yard line, junior safety Roy Williams timed the snap perfectly, leapt over the offensive line fully extended, and redirected Chris Sims's quick pass attempt right into the awaiting hands of Teddy Lehman, who strolled into the end zone. Touchdown OU, game over. The Superman play is probably the most famous play in Oklahoma football history. I remember it for completely different reasons. When Roy Williams flew like Superman over that line, I think Lee and I were surprised. It happened so quick. Our dad, meanwhile, was not surprised. After the batted ball fluttered harmlessly into Teddy Lehman's hands, dad erupted with what can only be described as the most enthusiastic, organic celebration ever. He immediately rose to his feet, accompanied by a deafening, yes! When he was on his feet, he shimmied, did a little dance, That can only happen in our most raw moments, and for 30 seconds completely forgot he was in a public place. The joy he exhibited can only be described as hilariously authentic. Lee and I were shocked. 
We looked at each other embarrassingly. We sat there quietly while dad exploded with pure emotion. We were 11 and 13 years old, and we were embarrassed to be the center of attention in a random restaurant, which of course, in retrospect, is a silly thing to be embarrassed about. That was 18 years ago, and I remember that exact moment like it was yesterday. It no longer elicits embarrassment for me, but rather pure, unbridled joy. It's a story that probably doesn't mean much to outside observers, but it means a whole hell of a lot to me. If I could do it all over again, I would react in the same way that dad did, because that's the feeling that memory sparks inside of me when I think about it today. I hope all of you listening to this today have similar stories with OU football that mean a lot to you personally, Uh, and if so, please feel free to reach out, and we will absolutely read them on the show. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Play action. Jones down the middle. Millard at the five. Millard in. Touchdown, Oklahoma. What a big part of the offense number 33 has been today. Trey Millard's 25-yard touchdown catch welcomes us into the show today. Millard had a monster game against Texas back in 2012. 164 total yards and that touchdown grab. Oklahoma blowing out Texas in that game, 63-21. Millard wore number 33 at Oklahoma as March comes to an end and April arrives. We'll switch the intro to players who wore number 44 at OU. That means it'll be time to highlight some defensive guys, including, of course, the most iconic defensive player in OU history. Hey, everybody. I'm Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top of the show with his opening take. Here's the deal today. Not a lot of prep time for us, so we're hoping the current Oklahoma players and coaches can kind of guide us through the whole episode today. Jalen Hurts spoke to the media for the first time as a Sooner on Wednesday afternoon. Plus, I got a chance to ask Alex Grinch a couple more questions on Tuesday. One of them was, have there been any position changes since we last talked to you? I'll play you what Grinch said a little bit later in the show. Plus, we'll play any other notable comments we've gathered so far this week. I've got a a decent amount from Jalen Hurts, Alex Grinch, and from one additional player. So let's just uh, get this going. Not a whole lot of setup. We'll bring Grant back in, and I guess let's talk about you're opening take a, a little bit and you know we had a, a OU Texas play in the intro as well I didn't know you were doing that for the opening take when I picked the the intro of course I do remember that that day and that play and I was trying to f- remember the restaurant we went to but it was some local joint in Ohio that nobody would know and I do <laughs> I do also remember some I, I want to say that might have been one of the first times we learned about I don't know if this was true or if this is a true origin story, but I think that's the first time that we learned how to talk crap to Bevo, or we learned about Bevo, the steer. Because uh, I just recall Dad talking about Bevo quite a bit, and not the best, not the best light <laughs> during that game. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. I'm glad you brought that up because yes, yeah, I mean that did happen. I'm I'm pretty sure it was that year as well. It might have been while so, we were driving around <laughs> looking for a restaurant, also. Yeah, so that was the Superman game and also the time where we learned about Bevo. So good times, good times. 18 years ago, wow. Incredible. So that uh, that happened. That's uh, Yeah, and I, I like what you said at the top. If any of you listeners have any stories like that that you'd like to send us on the Facebook page or our Twitter accounts, I'm at Lee Benson News 9 Grants, at Grant Benson 25. West of Everest Facebook page. Email us, westofeverest at gmail.com. If you want to give us 
some of those stories that kind of warm your heart that revolves around Oklahoma football, let us know because those are fun. And this is the time of year for it. Somewhat. No, it totally is. There's nothing else going on, really. I mean, well, I mean, I was gonna say like, I know, the summertime would be more because like there would be no more spring ball going on. But I get your point. Geez, there might as well not be any spring ball going on right now. There's not like there's any information coming out of it. I mean, this is the most I've paid attention to spring ball this year and the previous year that I ever have. Do we normally get a lot of news out of spring ball? I bet this is probably pretty normal. You listen to, or you pay attention to this stuff a lot more than I do. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um. Are you just, is this like recency bias here that it probably just are, is just a little yeah. bit. And also I think there's a little bit of leftover frustration. I just, I don't know. I Lincoln Riley's pretty tight lipped. He, he has been the last two years. He is during the season as well. They, um, they mislead about injuries all the time and, and whatnot. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's frustrating, but I understand from a competitive standpoint. Well, the big news of this week, then let's jump right into it. Jalen Hurts for the first time talked, and it wasn't just Jalen Hurts, Grant, who talked on Wednesday. By the way, we're recording this a day late on Wednesday, so thanks for bearing with us because we wanted to get this Jalen Hurts stuff in, and also we wanted to get Alex Grinch and the rest of the defensive players in, too. Also talking was Tanner Mordecai and Tanner Schaefer, so they got all the quarterbacks involved, Grant. Uh, We're not going to have any sound from the two Tanners, though. I'll just tell you that right now. No offense to those two guys, but I think most people want to hear from Jalen Hurts, and honestly, Tanner Mordecai didn't say anything particularly compelling. Neither did Tanner Schaefer. And honestly, neither did Jalen Hurts. But the fact that he played at Alabama and he's the big name guy, he's the player that we want to hear from the most. So, Grant, did you get a chance to listen to or watch any of the press conference on Wednesday afternoon when Jalen Hurts talked for about 30 minutes? I have not actually been able to see it. I've been really busy doing adult things at work. It sucks. Don't be an adult, right. anybody. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to no, do stuff that you want to adult. do. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fun. So, yeah, it's I'll be going fun. off the cuff here. All right. Well, I picked three different sound bites throughout the entire 30 minutes. And honestly, these aren't even that – they're not even that great. Yeah, I, I know we're supposed to, like, tease, oh, keep listening. I, you know, Jalen Hurts is a lot more Kyler Murray at the podium than he is Baker Mayfield. Very reserved, very thoughtful, takes his time to make sure he has his thoughts in order before he says stuff. So I'm not sure if he's going to be a very compelling soundbite throughout this one year he's with OU, but that's okay. Uh, as long as he plays well on the field, that will won't, it won't matter at all what he is at the, at the press conferences. Anyways, let's start with this, talking about his growth as a player during his time at Alabama. Of course, he was at Bama for three seasons. He started, for the most part, the first two years and then got pulled famously in the national title game for Tua, and then Tua has played the rest of the way. Almost won the Heisman last year. They almost won the national title. Well, they made it to the national title. So Hertz has gone through a lot. He had a lot of success, but most recently more failures than success, I'd say, at Alabama, just kind of in a uh, – I know he had that good game against Georgia, but for the most part, he's failed more than he has succeeded, and failed might not be the right word. might be a little too harsh. But let's just hear Hertz talk about his growth and, and how he sees himself right now that he's at Oklahoma. I think I'm, I'm wiser. I'm better. Um stronger for everything that took course last year and over the over the last three years um i definitely know that um obviously i didn't i didn't get the snaps you know i I had limited time there but i'm at a new place now new opportunity and um i think it's a different team on the same mission grant can you hear that yeah i can hear it 
A little bit? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear it. So he's grown. He's become more wise. Different team. Same mission. Well, Lee, you told me that, uh, I think right after you left the press conference, you told me that he didn't say much. And, man, not off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, it's he. Uh, there not a whole lot of headlines coming out of this from Jalen Hurts, but uh, as you're as you'd expect, he's grown a bit. He, I'm sure, he learned a lot. Uh, he's been humbled quite a bit. SEC Freshman of the Year. You know, minutes away from a national title. His first season didn't win it. Plays for the most part all of 2017. They get to the playoff, but plays very poorly in that playoff game and loses and then uh or no they no they won they won yeah he they got won, pulled at halftime because he was so uh, painstakingly terrible I, I was talking about the first playoff game where they beat Clemson but it was very it was a slugfest but then yeah in the championship game then he got pulled and then ever since then he yeah I mean everyone knows he played well in the SEC title game but uh, hasn't played a whole lot since then now his job, Grant, is to replace not one, but two Heisman Trophy winners back-to-back, which has never happened before at quarterback. And you know what? If you're ever going to replace back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners, certainly you're going to want somebody that's like Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield, but those guys just don't really exist a whole lot. They're, they're very rare. Other than that, Jalen Hurts might actually be the perfect guy to take a shot at this. And so here's Hurts talking about replacing – Mayfield and Murray. I think this whole situation is unique. Um, everything about it is unique. Um, and for me, I know it's happening to a unique person. And I'm not your average Joe. Um, kind of built for these type of situations. You know, there's never been really anything that's been in my way that I couldn't overcome or see through. So. Um, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm here and um, do whatever I can to help this team in any way um, and achieve the things that we want to achieve as a team. So Grant, Jalen Hurts is kind of built for a situation like this because he's had to overcome so much. He was benched, but then came back and still played pretty well in a big moment, got Alabama basically to the, nat- or the playoff. I, I can't argue with them. I mean, if and that's kind of the I think a big reason why Lincoln Riley was so enamored. I think with Jalen Hurts because of you're losing a guy like Kyler Murray after you lost Baker Mayfield and the quarterback room is kind of thin. I mean, you have Austin Kendall, but no real starting experience. Clearly, Lincoln Riley, and he said it before he he needed some or he wanted some more experience in that room. And yeah, I mean, I think Jalen Hurts was kind of addressing that there with that soundbite. I thought him using the word unique to describe the situation was refreshingly self-aware. And not that like, just I I thought that's the perfect way to describe the situation. It is. I mean, this is a super unique situation. Um, I'm, it's so weird because I can't imagine something like this happening in college football like 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Or this really is a a very interesting situation where you have a guy like Jalen Hurts who, um, for all intents and purposes, played and started every single game for Alabama for two seasons, started in two national title games, and he gets <laughs> and a guy comes along who is better than him that almost wins the Heisman and unseats him, and he transfers to OU, who's had the best offense 
in the country for four or five straight years, two straight Heisman Trophy winners. This is weird. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's really cool. So, um, and he just is taking it in stride. I right. Mean, yeah. It kind of sounds the like he's calm, cool person ever. And it's not just at the podium. The first time we've seen him, uh, I was there. And I mean, he just, he's, he's very, uh, he, I'll be honest, I, no offense. He's very boring. And he's a very boring guy. But I, I always love it. I know you like this, Grant. You always talk about how you like your quarterbacks a lot more chill, calm, easygoing. Nothing really affects them, very unflappable. And that's Jalen Hurts. I mean, we see it on tape. We've seen it for three seasons. Well, two full seasons and a couple of times this past year when he's played. I mean, this guy is just kind of like I, – I think you like to use the term. It's like they are they don't have a pulse or they're, they're – maybe you haven't said they're dead. It's almost like there's just – there's nothing going on underneath their skin. There's like there's no There's no blood there. They're just like whatever. Like they're calm and cool, and that's Jalen Hurts basically. Yeah, definitely. It's it sounded like honestly to the two clips you played, it sounded like he was gonna fall asleep halfway through his sentences. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean he, I, he's he's very he's very clearly a, a really cool customer. I'm which which is this is like he's this is my type of quarterback. Yeah, you know, I've said I've said a few times that you know you and I are have became pretty enamored with Baker Mayfield which was always ironic for us because his style and his personality is the exact opposite in what you and I typically like in a quarterback. Jalen yeah. is, 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 is typically what we like in a quarterback, at least in terms of his disposition. And Kyler Murray, too. Murray was like that. Yeah, I like Murray. I, I really do like Murray's quiet confidence and just kind of... Just <laughs> no, you can't even tell if he's winning yeah. or losing by looking at him. Yeah. No, I mean, Murray had that... You mentioned that the quiet confidence. Murray in his head, he's never going to lose. He's going to beach on every play. And, I mean, for all intents and purposes, his entire football career, he's very rarely ever lost. So it's it's not surprising that he felt that way. And Hurts, for the most part, hasn't lost either. Uh, but, you know, in a way, I mean, losing a quarterback competition after you've been there for two years, that's a, that's a pretty big loss. And he has had to grow and learn from that. And there's no doubt about it, this guy's going to have a – a huge chip on his shoulder come 2019 and he'll have a lot to prove and he's going to be super excited playing in this offense even though you're not going to be able to tell because listen to him talk he's he doesn't seem like he's that excited really about anything but that's just kind of the way he is and he even told this long story at the end of the presser a really long story about when he was in high school and the team he played for was playing another team a rival team that I guess they hadn't beaten in something like 10 years and I think Hertz said that he was a ball boy because his dad was a coach and you know growing up that team had never beaten this team or he hadn't seen them they haven't he hadn't seen them ever win and then finally in this game when he was playing they did win and he said he didn't really do a whole lot of celebrating he kind of like got up he said for like a second or two he might have celebrated but then he quickly calmed himself kind of looked over to the opposing team sideline and then just walked away and I guess that was his way of explaining why he has always just been the way he is. Just nothing really phases him. He's just even keel, never too high, never too low. So did um, and I'm sort of changing up tracks here. Did anybody ask him what he thinks about going up against Big Twelve defenses? No, no, that hasn't, I mean, that was not brought up yet. Like maybe the one like interesting thing you could have asked him that already like hasn't been asked. <laughs> Because no, there was a lot of things that were interesting that were asked, I think, but that was not brought up yet. Because that's what I want to. I want to hear about like the football stuff, man. 
I want to be like, I hey, how, how does this uh, how does this system differ from what you were doing at Alabama last year? You know, stuff like that. Like, I mean, that's what I want to hear. Yeah, so do I. And I wanted to ask about that similarly. I just couldn't think of a way to phrase it. And I didn't do enough, didn't do enough research going in. I should have probably prepped more. And I knew there'd be a lot of people there asking stuff. And, you know, a lot of the questions were kind of what you would expect. I mean, he talked about his development as a passer a bit. I didn't think it was compelling enough to cut and put on the podcast. He just didn't say a whole lot. He really didn't. And I have one more soundbite to play from him. And it's a thing. Uh, I, I'll say it. I'll set it up this way. He made a point to say that his history at Alabama, everything he did last year in, in Alabama, all that stuff is not going to help Oklahoma win football games in 2019, which technically is true. But that time he spent at Alabama learning what he learned and becoming a leader in that locker room and even being a leader when he wasn't even the starter anymore is pretty important. So here is Hertz talking about being a leader. And I liked – I liked what he said here, and I think you'll probably you'll probably feel the same way, Grant, but I'll explain why I liked what he said here after I play it. I'd rather say too much now, emphasis too much, or put an emphasis on too much now, or repeatedly say something, or let's go, guys, or, you know, just I'd rather lead too much, and, you know, Coach Riley wants me to be aggressive with that. So that's, that's um, the approach that I'm taking with it. So Hertz would rather be more outspoken, lead too much, as opposed to being a little more timid and not because he wants to maximize this one year at Oklahoma. And as an adult, you know, growing up, I'm 31 years old now. I think back to when I was in high school and I was one of the captains on the football team as a senior. And, you know, that was great. I, you know, I was honored and I remember I had to like write a letter and to like explain why to my coaches and why I wanted to be a captain and then the the team had to you know make you a captain it was a whole thing we had you know we had a handful of captains it was really cool and before every single game the coach would ask one of the captains or one of the players on the team to kind of give one of those pregame speeches and I was always waiting for the, the time where the coach said hey Lee it's your turn you're giving the speech tonight and I was I always was waiting for that because I remember thinking like Man, I'm going to put a lot of time into this. I'm going to think of something real cool to say. I'm going to, because honestly, a lot of my teammates, when they gave these speeches, it was, they didn't seem to put a lot of thought into it. They just would say the generic stuff like, all right, guys, here we go. Let's go beat these guys. Woo. And, you know, just like, come on, like, think of, let's put some thought into it. It was just very, uh, very Cro Magnon like, very caveman like, not much thought into it. So I thought, you know, I'm going to be the guy that puts some thought into it and really puts out a really good pregame speech. Well, here's the thing. That game never came. My head coach never asked me to. And I was I was mad about that. And, you know, I never asked him about it later, you know, whatever the season ended and, and I never played football again and at a, at a, you know, at a competitive high level. But the reason I say this whole story is that I think back to that and I think, you know what, I should have been a lot more uh, – I, I should have gone to my coach and said, hey, coach, I want to talk before this game. Like, And I think he would have – respected that and he would have liked that because he would have been like this guy's being a leader this guy's taking charge he's coming to me he wants to do this and I never did that I was too passive as a high school kid as a teenager and when I hear a guy like Jalen Hurts saying that I want to do this I want to be more of a leader than not because he wants to take advantage of it and maximize it to me that shows somebody who is ahead of his time that's that's older and a guy that just kind of gets it and he's been here before and Lincoln Riley even talked about it before months ago about how he kind of felt like Hertz was an old soul and older than 
than a 20-whatever, 22-year-old kid he is. And so that's why I really like hearing him say that he wants to to make sure that he's going all out and he's not going to be timid and he's going to he wants to lead as much as possible to get the most out of this grant. And I think if you're a player who's already on the on the roster, why, you know, when Jalen Hurts is coming in, you know, I, I'd imagine that they're just lining up ready to be led by him. Because why why wouldn't you? I mean, I don't I don't right. I don't know if anybody if anybody has more respect across college football than Jalen Hurts does. So um mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it's, it's a great opportunity. So I, yeah, I mean, with what he's saying, I, I hope the guys on the team have, uh, have taken to it as well. And, and I have, I have no reason to, to doubt that they, you know, that they have so, or they haven't. And there was a couple of times on Wednesday when he was asked questions, trying to get some information out of Hertz of, Hey, your experience at Alabama, what's it like in this Oklahoma locker room now after being at Alabama and he didn't really go into any details at all. He just kept saying the word different. He said, it's different. It's different locker room, different players. He, he didn't really buy into or really give us anything as far as what he's bringing from, over from Alabama to this Oklahoma locker room. And I don't know if that was on purpose or if really he's being honest and there's, really, there's not a whole lot he's doing. But I tend to believe that he's got to be doing something or at least kind of like you just – kind of alluded to his presence is almost everything just because of his reputation and I know he got benched last year but he has that reputation of playing all those games and winning all those games at Bama and and he just has such a a a solid and sterling image in college football that you know everyone on the team has got to be looking up to him in some way shape or form yeah and you gotta I I think there is some value in you know, I, I like to make fun of the video, you know, the video that they put on Twitter of him doing the squat, right? Of him putting up like the whatever, like 600 pounds squatting that or whatever. Yeah. Seeing a seeing your quarterback do that. What does that psychologically do to the rest of the team? You yeah, know, I mean, that's, they, uh... I was never a guy who really got into lifting and stuff like that. I mean, but I know, you know, guy who are playing Division One football. I'm sure that weight room can be pretty competitive at times. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and Tanner Schaefer, the you know walk on third string quarterback, and I'll bring him up because he was asked about that video today or at the press conference, and he said, "Oh yeah, it was great. I was there. We were all there. We were all cheering him on. That's what we do. And everyone's squatting. Everyone gets behind. It's a good team chemistry. Everything is building." And he said, "It's just it was awesome." And just that kind of leg strength in a quarterback, he said, "Just that'll help you throw the ball farther and a little more pop to it." And you know, which, which obviously that's that's great. But also what that does, Grant, is I was watching back some old video of Hertz today and I was putting together a story for for work. And you know, I came across the national title game against Clemson where he broke off that that long run and uh, what looked like he had single handedly won the game for for Alabama and just him easily running through tackles because he's just so thick and he's, he's so strong. And that'll come in handy in the Big Twelve. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I still think he is a he is absolutely a a major threat to run for a thousand yards uh, next season, especially in the Big Twelve. He is going to run through arm tackles for days. Just look at Sam Ellinger. I mean, Sam Ellinger. That's a huge part of his game. All right, Grant. That's all the sound I have on Jalen Hurts. 
Any other comments you want to make about Hurts before we get to the defense? No, I'm I'm glad that uh, the Sooners have a have a heady kind of you know under control quarterback. I like it, and and also just sort of like my final thought on on Jalen up there as a speaker. Like he's as as an interviewee, he's like Lincoln Riley's perfect subject. Doesn't say anything. Just is up there. It comes across as as cordial, thoughtful, well spoken, but literally says nothing. He is. Lincoln Riley has to be in love with him for that fact alone. And and uh, one last thought on Hurts. I just kind of it was kind of a throwaway thing, but it was very interesting and unique. And I know that's a word that Hurts used a bit ago when he was describing the the situation of him replacing back to back Heisman winners. There was a moment when he was answering a question, and one of the OU students had asked him a question, and it's actually one of, uh, he interned at News 9, his name is Sam, good guy, he's at OU still, but anyways, so he asked him a question, uh, and Jalen Hurts answered it, and then later on, he went back and referenced it, and I just thought it was kind of funny, he said, and uh, this is Jalen Hurts, he said, well, like, as I was saying to that young man over there earlier, (laughs) like, totally unironically, like, that's like part of his vocabulary, like, he called this, this, it's like, probably, maybe even the same age as him. It might even be the same age. I don't know. Like they, maybe a year. And he called this guy a young man. That's kind of funny. <laughs> and I, I just like when he said that I, in my head, I thought that's strange. Like this is, I mean, the whole old soul thing that Lincoln Riley used to describe him. And that's probably a big time thing. Like he, this might be a tw- like early twenties college kid and, uh, you know, in a, not a 40 year old's body. Cause he's certainly, it has a body. You know, he's a very strong chiseled in shape dude, but I think <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you let me tell you i was at practice the first day <laughs> oh boy uh, all righty let me let me take a sip of water here real quick and cool down <laughs> but yeah i just thought it was funny that he he called some he, he just threw in this young man over here i just thought that was very bizarre slash very endearing oh all right <laughs> all right well i had my sip of water let's move on to the defense <laughs> Grant, you want an update on the defense? How it's been, how it's been going since the last time we yeah. talked to Alex Grinch? Let's let's see if Alex Grinch can can confuse us more today. All right. Well, here's Alex Grinch giving us an update on the Oklahoma defense after spring break is over and practice has been going on. I guess technically for about three ish or so weeks. If I'm completely being honest, maybe we're a little bit ahead of where I thought we might be through, through five practices, and I say that with very much uh, a level of hesitation. But I think we're running. I think the want to's there. Um, I, I think the 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 you know the uh, playmaking mindset is is not what I think it should be yet. You know, I think we're participating uh, a little bit more than we're playing the game. You know, and some of that you know. And again, we can make whatever excuses we want. We're learning. We're we're, we're teaching. It's I don't know where to line up. This and that. But uh, it, it, uh, it it's got to be uh, it's got to be at the, the, the forefront of our brains in terms of. Every single thing I told the guys today, uh, you know, every single snap of football, a play has to be made. Either they make it or I make it, you know. And so I, I don't know that enough guys are thinking that way, just itching, dying uh, to be a playmaker on this defense. So that's Alex Grinch's update on the defense. Two things from that. Number one, good thing. He says that, to be honest, if he's being honest, he thinks they're ahead of where he thought they would be through, I think he said, five practices. That's good. But the downside sounds like he's not so sure enough guys are in the same in, in the correct mindset or I'm not I can't remember exactly the words used, but 
uh, he's not so sure there's enough guys that they're trying to be playmakers and go get the football. And that's something that they have to continue to work on. So I think you were able to hear what he said there, Grant. What oh, yeah, are your I heard takeaways it. from that? Okay, what are your takeaways from Alex Grinch? I don't know. Ever kind of every time I hear Grinch talk now, I sort of start chuckling because he uh He's kind of like a more stoic version of PJ Fleck. He talks very dramatically. Um, so therefore, I'm kind of just like. And PJ Fleck is the Minnesota head coach, okay? Uh, yeah, right? yeah. In case these are just strict Big Twelve fans. Well, I mean, I think I, PJ Fleck became a pretty national figure. I mean, with his row the yeah, boat nonsense and uh, how <laughs> just nonsense. How how creepily positive positive he is at all times. Um, okay, you're right. But, I I apologize for underestimating the. College football knowledge of our listener, yeah, our listeners. So I apologize for that. No, I, I like. Um, I mean, if 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 what they're preaching is playing fast and being like playmakers, making plays, then I mean, I love that. That's awesome. Um, I obviously like. I I I I wish that there were more guys who were in the playmaking mindset, like you know he said. But hey, man, that's his job. So now, a couple of notes I took down. Kind of interesting. He was asked. You know, when do you when do you know if these if the guys on the team have turned the corner and they're making plays or they're uh, they they you know they've turned more into playmakers or they're they're playing better? And he said, honestly, you don't know if the guys have playmaking abilities and mentality until you know. Which unfortunately, sometimes in this sport is not until game day, not until week one. You play a real game, and so it's a situation where we could be kind of waiting until the very beginning of the season for Alex Grinch to truly see what he has defensively just because that's the first time he'll be able to see Oklahoma play against an, another team. Certainly they'll have scrimmages, things like that. I'm sure he'll learn a lot from that. But I, I found that to be somewhat interesting. Another comment he made that was kind of a throwaway comment, but it seems sincere to me, and I hadn't really heard this before, but just because the Oklahoma defense has been so poor, I mean, we kind of grasp at straws at this point to look for any sort of positive news. But he just said, he just said nonchalantly that, oh yeah, we don't ask the players to have a good practice; we demand it. Okay, that's good. He said that their first practice back from spring break, they tried to make it as difficult as possible. He said, you know, just because it's his first practice back after spring break, we're not going to try to go easy on the guys. We want to make this something to where they're earning it, and it's difficult and. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. And then the last little note, and I'll cede the floor to you to, you know, you can say whatever you want before we get to the next soundbite. To the playmaking stuff and getting the football, I guess, not I guess that they said this, that they put a ball, a football in, all, in the meeting rooms for defense just to remind them that it's all about the football. That, like he said over and over and over again, that the sole purpose of playing defense is to get the ball back to the offense. And so... They have a football in the meeting rooms all the time just to remind them of that. And he said, you know, it's this isn't something that's just kind of a gimmick. And, you know, this is something that we've taken from other teams do this. Some NFL teams do this. And so it's something that, again, is it doesn't it sounds like, oh, come on, that's kind of gimmicky. But he made a point to say, no, no, this is something that I truly believe in and others have done. And this works. So those are the notes I have right now on Grinch. So I'll let you jump in and give your thoughts on anything. Yeah. You know, I um. I like the idea that they are making a obviously a considerable effort to changing the mindset of the defense, and I think that's uh, there's a lot of people who would probably argue that's kind of that's that's a large a large maybe a majority of, of playing defense is your mindset because um, you have to be aggressive. Um, you have to a lot of the times you have to not care about your physical well being to be a good defender. 
Um, and that takes, you know, a certain mindset. So I am, um, I'm certainly glad that 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 seems to be a priority to Alex Grinch. Anything else I can't really comment on because, I mean, geez, these they just don't really talk about football that much in these press conferences. <laughs> well, we're we're getting to some some good stuff though from Grinch. Before that though, let's go to a player. How about Justin Broyles? We haven't heard from Justin Broyles in a long time, Grant. You know, he his season ended kind of early. I think he might have been healthy for the Orange Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. But he was knocked around, I think, in, against Kansas he was injured. And so he's one of the defensive backs that, you know, it, it, we don't know what we're going to get from the defensive backs. That's a position group. It's a, it's a level of the defense that needs a lot of work. And so Justin Broyles just talking about Alex Grinch and Roy Manning, the cornerbacks coach. Broyles saying that uh, these coaches are, are exciting him and the rest of the guys because they're just bringing a lot of energy to practice. Man, you know what I'm saying? He bring, he bring a whole different – a whole different swag to the field, you know what I'm saying? Like I thought, I thought I brought swag to the field. Now nah, you ain't seen, you ain't seen swag till you seen Manning and Grinch out there. Like, like it kind, it kind of foreshadow what I try to bring to the field. So they bring a lot of juice. So Alex Grinch and Roy Manning bringing more swag to the field than Justin Burrell's apparently. It's saying a lot. I mean, the question is, how, are they bringing more swag than Buki though? It's a good point. That that's to, that's to be determined. We don't know about that yet. So that's Justin Broyles. I just wanted to hear from a, that's you know that's one of the not a whole lot of stuff from players from uh, Tuesday, but I found that kind of a kind of a fun soundbite from Justin Broyles. By the way, we'll talk about him real real quick. He said that he's playing free safety right now. That's where they have him. He came in as a corner, Grant, and if I'm not mistaken, a season ago, I think he was kind of playing the same positions as Buki. I think he was playing a bit bit of nickel and some strong safety. Yeah, Does that a, sound that sounds right. right. To you? Yeah, and he was he was a guy. I mean, he played a lot in the first half of the season. Yeah, and yeah, so they got him at free right now. Was not was not great when he played, unfortunately, which is which is too bad because he kind of does bring like the the same sort of like sort of bulldog attitude. It seems like a lot of the time that someone like you know like Motley brings as well. Um, just sort of the the results on the field didn't really translate. Yeah. But hey, I mean, he's a young dude. He's he's going to be a redshirt sophomore, I think, this year. Yep. So, so I asked Broyles just to get a player's perspective. I asked him if he thinks they're on schedule defensively, and essentially, he just said, "Well, uh, Coach Grinch is saying that we're on schedule, so I believe him." <laughs> and so I said, hey, "Are you seeing anything on the field? Any indications at practice? If you know that gives you confidence that you're on schedule and." He said, well, not necessarily. It's more just in the meeting rooms and talking to, to Alex Grinch is saying that we're doing well and that we're either on schedule or ahead of schedule. So just wanted to throw that in there, too. Not, not a whole lot from Borels when it came to that. Didn't get a whole lot of on-field examples. So I got a couple more sound bites to play from Alex Grinch. Before I play it, I asked Alex Grinch if since the last time we've talked to him and the defensive guys – if anybody has switched positions, because that's a big topic, right? Is who's going to play where? Is Buki going to play corner? Is he going to stay at safety? Is he going to play a different position? So I asked about position changes, and I will play that answer to you uh, for you all in a moment. But first, I just want to say something that I haven't done this in a while, but if you're listening to this here in the off season now it's spring ball, and you enjoy the show and you have not already, please go to the West of Everest facebook page give us a like 
If you're listening to us on iTunes, lift up your phone, leave us a review, a, a rating, if you will. If you have a you know moment, let us know what you think about the show. Uh, and also, you can contact us, westofeverest at gmail.com. Also, you can follow Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25. I am at LeeBensonNews9. And if you need to contact us through Facebook, if that's easier, that's really easy. Just do that through the West of Everest Facebook page. So without any further ado, Alex Grinch on position changes. And this soundbite, this clip is going to start with my question to Alex Grinch. You've said that you want to get players in their positions as soon as possible. You don't want to waste any time. Since the last time we talked to you, has anybody switched spots anywhere? Uh, no, up? not at this point. Not at this point. We're very, very thin in the secondary, which is alarming. Um, just from a, a depth standpoint, we've got some, some young guys coming in the fall that we're going to have to plug in. And I, I probably echo that maybe, maybe across the board, probably, probably a little bit more, more, more thin than we should be at Oklahoma. But, uh, um, but that also is a great opportunity for the guys getting reps. And so, you know, the thing I told the guys the other day, I keep giving you guys the – the inside scoop on our defensive meetings. But the thing I told the guys the other day is don't, don't ever say you never had a chance to play at Oklahoma because right now, you know, whether you're a walk-on, whether, whether you, know, you, you thought you were just going to get a jersey and uh, a couple square meals on a Friday before a game, I mean, you, you got a chance to, to get reps out here and you better take advantage of them. All right, Grant, you heard Grinch's answer to the question about position changes. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, obviously, the the thing that stands out there is what is he? I have no idea what he's talking about in terms of depth in the secondary, um, unless unless there's other guys injured that we don't know about. I so we, let's we, go over we, the we, secondary yeah. players on the roster. Yeah. So okay. So and you you helped me out earlier because we were texting and you know, Robert Barnes is out this spring. Yes. And I had forgotten that Starlin Baldwin is also out, and. Jordan Parker, that's it. Jordan Jordan Parker's out. Okay, so that's three secondary players. Two players, Baldwin and Parker, are listed as corners, and, and Barnes is listed as a safety. So I'm on the roster right now for spring. And let's start with the safeties. There's only four players listed as an actual safety on this roster. Robert Barnes is one of them. Patrick Fields, Chance Sylvie, and DeLaren Turner-Yell. All right, so three of those four players are available as far as we know. So that's three safeties. And then there's the corners, Starlin Baldwin, who's out this spring, Trey Brown, Parnell Motley, Trey Norwood, Jordan Parker, who is out, Justin Broyles. Okay, so that, that's it for corners. So Jordan Parker was the last corner. So of all the corners, Parker and Baldwin are not available this spring, but Trey Brown, Parnell Motley, and Trey Norwood are. So I've named off, I believe, 10 players, and one, two, three, four of them are out. Okay, so that's six total defensive backs there. And now there is one, two, three, four, five, six other players listed as just a straight defensive back. So that would mean that there's 12 defensive backs that are active as far as we know. And the other six DBs are Justin Broyles, Robert Charlton, who I believe did something in the spring game last year. That name reminds me. He's a walk-on. Yeah, I, I, just, I remember him in the spring game last year. Uh, Miguel Edwards. Jamal Morris, who is one of those early enrollee freshmen. Uh, Caleb Murphy must be a walk-on. Uh, well, he's a redshirt freshman. And then, of course, Buki. So as far as we know, there's 12 players available in the secondary. And there is, I think, four guys that are not available or three guys. Is it three guys that it's are not available? Just th- yeah. It's just three. It's just Barnes, Baldwin, and Parker. That's it. Okay. So... I believe there's 12 or 13 active, and this is you know doing live math right here. I think there's 12 or 13 active players in the secondary. 
So yeah, I I asked him just uh, as well, and I didn't pull this this soundbite. I asked him if being thin in the secondary is that something that you knew about or that's been uh, the same since day one since you got here on January? Or is that something that's changed between then and spring ball? And he said, yeah, it's 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 the lack of numbers in the secondary has been there has been that way since he arrived in January. And Grinch told me that he wants competition at every spot and not just in the secondary, every spot of the defense, which is not surprising. But in order to get, you know, that competition at every spot, you need a lot of numbers. And he doesn't want players just getting starting jobs by default. And he added that that's kind of happening right now more than they would like because he's not excited about the numbers in the secondary. I don't. So he wants more defensive backs. Okay, well, that's cool, but you only have so many scholarship spots on a roster. And, I mean, there's going to be players, you know, new freshmen probably that come in over the summer, right? I mean, in that in that yeah, class. Yeah, they, they have three other DBs coming in. So, uh, who knows? I I was kind of su- you know surprised as well as as you were, you know, to hear that because you know in my mind it's it's like okay, so is there a lot of guys that are all of a sudden injured that we're not aware of? Unless in his or mind just, he wants it, like like eighteen or twenty guys out there at all times, and if he doesn't have a, that, he thinks he's short on numbers. Which I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, considering that his background is in the secondary, he's a safeties coach, and he puts a lot of stock into that position group. And I mean, not, just, yeah. I mean, even if they're playing like right now, even if they're playing like in a dime package, they have enough for a two deep. That's not. That's not. Yeah. That's not thin in my estimation. But I mean, we're. I, I think we're just, I, or I'm just kind of getting over my skis. It's spring football. It doesn't, it's, this could be a, it, it could be as simple as, you know, an explanation of what I just talked about, which is not a big deal. So I don't know. It's just weird to me. They they have more bodies in the secondary than anywhere else on the team. So it just, it was, it, it was an interesting, interesting quote for me just because they have, they, at, ever since Riley took over and then Stoops did it too, obviously they've, they've pretty clearly been pretty quiet about injuries. So that's why I just, I'm, I'm curious if there's guys injured that we don't know about. On the other part of that answer too, my initial question. So at this point, if nobody else has switched positions, according to Alex Grinch, I mean, he told since the last time we talked to him, I mean, it's been, I mean, the first time we talked to Grinch was I'm looking at my calendar right now. It was something like March 7th or 8th, I believe if not, if not 11th or 12th, I mean, it was somewhere in there. So I think, I mean, it was at least at least two weeks ago, if not three weeks ago. If nobody switched positions by now, and I know, I don't know if you could hear part of my question, but, you know, initially Alex Grinch said that he wants to get players in the spot they're going to play as soon as possible because he wants them to not waste any time. He wants them to learn that position and not be all of a sudden learning one spot and then however many weeks later, oh, sorry, we're going to move you here because you think you're better because now you've lost all this time in a different position. And so now we're, you know, less than a month away from the spring game and no more position changes. It makes you kind of think that they're set however they are. And I just, it's something to think about. I mean, I, I, well, the main thing will be what we see, what are we going to see in the spring game? You know, that I guess that's going to be kind of the fun thing is looking who's playing in the spring game. Sure. Let's, you know, let's let's wait till then at least before we 
start to to mildly freak out. Not that we're gonna freak out. I mean, there's no reason. There's no reason to do that. It's just like no, no, not at all. I mean, just, I'm gonna just be point, just pointing it out. I, I'm just I'm gonna be pretty disappointed if they run Buki out there at nickel again or try to mess around with any of this crap. I mean, it's just I don't know. It, it'd just be really disappointing, is all. Well, the thing is, I think Buki could play nickel. He just gotta learn how to tackle better. And I mean, he's got all the he's low to the ground just teach him how to tackle go low i mean he's a player that yeah, could play nickel i suppose the way that you're supposed to i mean he could be like kind of like an extra linebacker and he's kind of got low to the ground it's just but anyways uh let's let's get to the next part I a couple more sound bites to play from alex grinch and this is going to be something that we've discussed quite a bit on this podcast and i thought hey you know what we're gonna get a chance to talk to alex grinch you know you and i both and i know i use robert Bar- you know robert barnes is my number one player i'm looking forward to and I've kind of pulled the reins back a bit on that one, and I'm disappointed with that. The number one guy you're looking forward to in this defense is Neville Gallimore, and for me, he was number two, and it was close to being a 1A, 1B between him and Barnes. So we're both pretty excited about Neville Gallimore. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah. And so I asked Grinch, you know, hey, when you're at Washington State, you're coaching up Hercules Mata'afa. Do you see any similarities between that guy and Neville Gallimore? And well, uh, here's my question, and then he'll get the answer. I say I know it's obviously early in spring, but when you coached Hercules at Washington State, he's one of the great players. I was curious if you see any similarities in Neville Gallimore. I know their size is quite a bit different, but as far as players, do you see similarities there? Yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's early. It's the same thing. You know, the, the Neff's thinking a little bit, but I think he has the, the ability to be uh, you know one of the. If not the, uh, and I don't know, all personnel across the board, so it's probably inappropriate to say, but I mean, one of the elite guys in, in, in the Big 12 in terms of you know rushing the passers. I don't know that the numbers suggest that he has been yet, but we're going to put him in a position to, to do so. So he's got to be that, that again, you, you hate to compare guys, but, but he needs to be that type of guy for us, be a playmaker. So, Grant, uh, we think that he can be a playmaker. That, was, sounds a good, like that was a Grinch. good answer. Yeah, I like that. So Alex Grinch wants him to be a playmaker as well. He said, yeah, maybe the numbers wouldn't suggest that, but we're going to put him in a position to do so. I, I love that. Oh, <laughs> let's go. Give me some more of that from Alex Grinch. That's why, why, like, people, the reporters and stuff just need to be tossing up softballs, like, just to get people excited. Do this just for 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 me and people like me. <laughs> I got one more piece of audio, and you were complaining a bit ago about how there's not a whole lot of football questions thrown out there and you want to just hear more about the the in-depth really hardcore x's and O stuff grant well this last soundbite i have of alex grinch it's for football diehards grinch says that he thinks that playing inside linebacker is the most difficult position to play in college football and so i have grinch talking about why that is and now i gotta find it here so bear with me hold on okay so so, Grant, you want like a minute or so of just straight football talk about why the inside linebacker is so difficult to play in college for football? For sure, because like I'm already going through like reasons in my head for why it would be or what he's going to say. Because, yeah, I think he's probably got a pretty good case. Let's hear it. Here it is. You know, I was talking to Coach Stoops, uh, uh, it may have been yesterday, um, and, and, I, and I believe this. I think it's the hardest position to play in college football because there's just so much – uh, from a coverage aspect, from a run fit standpoint, and, and when you add the, the quarterback run aspect and, and the counter action and bubbles and, and, and the drop back, I mean, the, the run pass conflict that you're in every single snap, which has always been there in football, 
Um, you know, all the old days of the hard play action and linebackers sucking up. Well, now, you know, it's an actual, it's not hard play action. It was, it was a run play that you need to fit, and then all of a sudden there's a pass off, and the quarterback can keep it. And what about that bubble out there? And so you're defending three plays on almost every snap of football. And guess where you guess what level of your defense do you need on every single one of those type of plays, and it's linebackers. And so it's a very difficult challenge, and we, you know, you try to simplify it as best you can, but really, it, it uh, they, they, and, and, and how you do that as defensive coaches, you say they make it a, a complicated enough offensively, then we got we got to do the the right things uh, uh, from a schematic standpoint, to put in position, play fast, and be able to play downhill. Whew, I mean, just machine gun style there of all the football terms coming out of Grinch's mouth. I just all that goes through your head if you're an inside linebacker. You got to defend three different plays every snap. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too, especially in the um, you know, the modern era of college football where I mean, let's be let's be real, air raid and air raid concepts have pretty much taken over football, especially the college game, or at least spread, you know, tactics have. And when you're a middle linebacker or an inside linebacker, especially in the Big 12, um, you're constantly stretched. You have to be good in space. You have to be good in the box. Uh, you have to be good in coverage. You have to take on defensive linemen. Um, like you said, yeah, there's tons of there's tons of fakes, uh, tons of pulling offensive line. I mean, it's 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 crazy. There's so I don't think when especially you know when we criticize Kenneth Murray, I don't think any of us are are out there saying, hey, this is easy. Um, because it's not. It is a very difficult position to play. I think there's a very good case to make, you know, to be made that it's the most difficult position, uh, at least on the on the defense in college football. I'm sure quarterback is, is probably still the most difficult position in all of college football. Speaking of inside linebackers, Deshaun White spoke on Tuesday, and he's been working at both inside linebacker spots, so they're apparently moving him around, trying to get him comfortable at every inside position. And uh, he said that, just energy level wise I found this to be somewhat interesting he said that he's noticed that the energy of the team at practice has been much higher compared to last season after Mike Stoops was fired he said that there was kind of like an initial boost of energy for a practice or two or here and there but then it it must have just kind of leveled off he didn't really go into that much detail but he, he did say that just early on so far in spring he has noticed a difference in the energy level so I just wanted to mention that about Deshaun White. Yeah. One of the only notes I kind of had on him. I think from a human standpoint, it makes sense just because um, when they go to practice, now everything is new. And I'm sure, I mean, these guys are these guys are Division One college football players. These guys have had to work to get to this point. They want to win. They like they want to have a good defense. So I'm sure they're excited. I'm sure they're they're motivated to um, to learn this and and get good at it. So. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense that there's lots of energy. I, I would be very concerned if, if he said otherwise. All right. Well, we've reached the point of the podcast where my on my rundown here, Grant, I'm I'm kind of out of uh, out of topics. How about I that? I was hoping that I was hoping that Alex Grinch and Jalen Hurts and those guys would kind of lead us through the show, and I think they have. I feel like I had one other thing I wanted to mention, but it's one of those things where now I'm I'm blanking on it and trying to frantically come back to it. Trying to think, we gotta. Oh, I remember. Uh, just talking to Alex. You know, it's great. I, I'm happy that I've been able to be at every Alex Grinch availability so far and ask him questions. And so, there's one question that I was wanting to ask him that I kind of ran out of time the other day on Tuesday, 
and it stems off of one of the more recent discussions we've had on this podcast. I think maybe last podcast we talked about this. I'm just curious to hear his philosophy on the nickelback. Does he look at nickelbacks as more of a cornerback or as more of a safety? Because I know at Washington State, and I, you know, I'm trying to figure out ways to phrase this question to him. But you know, I looking at his time at Washington State, I know that he used traditional safeties for the most part at nickelback. So I'm kind of curious what he would say when asked about you know his philosophy when it comes to that position because it's such a hybrid unique position these days in college football and I'd be curious to see if he gives me a concrete answer of like I'd prefer somebody that's more of a cornerback or I'd prefer somebody more of a safety or if he goes the route of well our nickelbacks need to be able to do this this and this and this and we find players that can do that which I would lean towards that's probably what he go with but I just I'd like to know more because you know you and I had a difference a, a you know, disagreement somewhat of you know I think Nickelback's more of like a safety you think of it more of a, as a corner like a slot corner which you know they call that in the NFL and I'd be curious to hear what you know Oklahoma's defensive coordinator has to say on that matter as well so next time I talk to or we get to talk to Grinch I hope I get a chance to ask him that question yeah I think it's a really good idea I I would be very interested to see or to hear what he's got to say about that all right, Grant. Well, football-wise, that's all I got. At this time of the year, we might have to start bringing back maybe the hot take of the week segment to find some hot takes, even though there's just not as many as there was last year at this time because everyone was bagging on Baker. And it seems like at this point, Kyler Murray is going to go number one overall. It's I mean, because everyone's like, learned their lesson. Like they, It's because they're, I think for years, or maybe not for years, but... I don't know. Maybe maybe Baker and Kyler are just like are just a lot different. They're very yeah, they're very unique. I mean, maybe they're just different. Maybe they are just that much better than every other just like spread quarterback that's come through. And I mean, their their college careers vouch for that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pro Football Focus they really like to to tout the numbers and the stats. All of Mayfield's numbers, he was by far the best. And I think Kyler's year this past year was just slightly lower than Baker's best year at OU I mean so it's yeah like because like I'm kind of I'm kind of starting to buy into the Kyler like high like I think he might be an absolute superstar in the NFL like when like multiple MVPs type player like I'm I'm starting to maybe be higher on Kyler as an NFL player than Baker and I'm not going to go that far here's the thing with Kyler Murray he certainly has more talent than Baker Mayfield just because of his athleticism and his speed and and I mean, he's got really good arm talent. I think Baker's got better arm talent right now than Kyler Murray. I think that's that's not that's not a debatable proposition because Baker Mayfield is just is so good throwing the football, and that's his number one strength to go along with just his pocket presence and his ability to read defenses and just to kind of understand what the defense is doing to him. I mean, Baker Mayfield is so good. I just he's such so fun to watch. But yeah, when it comes to Kyler, though, I think the the most interesting thing about him right now, or the word, and we've talked about this before, but it's worth bringing up again when you mention him as a future MVP type candidate and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm going to pump the brakes right now on this uh, because with Kyler, I think we're going to have to be more patient with him because of his lack of starting experience. Maybe more, if he gets, it's just it's he's got the one full year under his belt starting. I know he started a couple games at A and M. I was there. But those don't count a whole lot because he was just a different player back then and he learned so much more and got so much better from A&M to his last year at OU. Yeah, and so, I, yeah. I, I will say, though, part of my thinking here, there is absolutely a Cliff Kingsbury component of it. Um, I am just of the opinion, you know, um, 
minus like any sort of locker room issues or Kingsbury just, you know, not being able to, you know, control an NFL team for that matter. Um, from a purely football standpoint, I think Cliff Kingsbury's offense is absolutely going to work in the NFL and it's going to work very well. Um, I So I... I can imagine Kyler having instant success. Like I can imagine Kyler certainly having a better rookie year than Baker. If he, if he's starting from day one, like it it does not, it would not surprise me at all. Maybe. Uh, I just thought of this too. And speaking of the fact that Kyler only started the one full year and the, you know, the experience factor is an issue. You know who else in recent memory only had one year of starting experience under their belt before they were drafted really high in the NFL draft. Mitchell Trubisky, and he was not great at all his first year with John Fox there, and even though this past year, I mean, I watch every Bears game, I watch every snap, uh, eyeball test, he has a long way to go, and he's nowhere near as good as uh, even Baker Mayfield right now, not even close. He misses way too many throws, but Trubisky has flashes, and he, may, he does make some wow throws and some good plays, and his stats are actually really good from this past year and so in year two Mitchell Trubisky was able to, to look really good under Matt uh, Matt Nagy who's a great offensive mind so my point being is that Kyler he's he's way better than Mitchell Trubisky coming out of college I mean there's no comparison <laughs> so if Trubisky had that kind of a jump with a really good offensive mind as a coach and and really I mean Trubisky's second year his first year though under Nagy Kyler does have that chance if Kingsbury's offense does work and and he's able to adjust to the NFL game and it works yeah so I, I think that that's kind of a a notch on your side of yeah maybe he can be immediately really good and yeah like I mean I'm I and just I mean not to get too far in the weeds but like I I envision this being immediately successful in Arizona like I mean I could see them I could see Arizona completely being turned around uh with Kingsbury and Murray in one season just, uh, I mean, just, I mean, seriously, not, I mean, like completely in the sense that like they would go I'm like concerned about like eight and eight Kingsbury as a head coach. I'm concerned about him as a full, like I, I'd like to see him as an offensive coordinator in the NFL first. That's still, that really concerns me. Yeah. I mean, we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll, I, who knows what, how, how, you know, what his philosophy is. I'm just saying that, that Arizona Cardinals offense uh, was <laughs> the worst coordinated <laughs> offense in the NFL of the last decade. It's not even remotely close. Oh, um, I mean the the Bears with, under Lee, John Fox no. so it could give him a run for its money. Oh, yeah. it, Lee, they were so freaking Arizona the, was lining up in single back under center and trying to run the ball between yeah, the tackles. So what do you think Jordan Howard did that for two years in Chicago? Yeah, I and, suppose, yeah. and that's all they did. And the difference is that Chicago's offensive line was really good, and they still they everyone knew they were going to run it, and they still were able to get yards. But ultimately, the team wasn't very good. Uh, the Apparently the Cardinals' offensive line's bad, so that they couldn't do anything for It'll David be, Johnson. Yeah, it would be a completely different blocking scheme. Different. I mean, that, that's like, they could be completely turned around. What if? What if? What if Arizona's got some good athletes on the offensive line who just aren't? Maybe their biggest strength isn't blocking within the box or something like that. Maybe they're they're better. <laughs> they're better, you know, with uh, with bigger splits, getting out into space, pulling, which is what. Maybe Kingsbury's offense does. I just this this is going to work very well, I think. All right. Any I mean, you know, our podcasts aren't that are usually not this short. So um you at have this any, point, uh, obviously if you're if if you're bored you can turn it off. But any any uh we haven't talked about this really at all, but you want to have any final thoughts on uh OU basketball? Sure. 
Should we talk about that a little bit? Sure. I, I don't think I, it's 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 hard to come up with any sort of hot takes for this team because I think everybody is in general agreement that it was absolutely a successful season. Um, coming off a year, I think everyone thought was going to be a bridge year until uh, the top ten recruiting class came in for next year. Um, turned out to be a total success. They went to the NCAA tournament and they won a game. And I, I mean, I, and they, it was their, uh, their opening round game against Ole Miss. That was the best game they played all year. I don't think you can ask for more than that. They were, they were very, very prepared to play that game. They came out and they executed. Uh, they played really well. Yeah, I don't have any hot takes either on the basketball team. I have seen a, a couple people in the local media that have some interesting thoughts on maybe like super in-depth basketball. Like I'm not a basketball expert by any means. Don't get me wrong. I just basketball is something that I don't know like super in-depth about. So I, I, I don't think about like substitutions a whole lot when it comes to basketball and things of that nature that maybe more basketball people would, would think about, you know, more than me. The reason I bring that up though, is I saw, there was criticism of you know why did the Sooners pull like you know Brady Manick and you know, their starters you know at certain points in that Virginia game because they got that thirteen and nine lead and it's the NCAA tournament. There's long commercial breaks every four minutes. I don't know how people can get tired in this. So it's like let's just keep all the best players on the court as long as possible because that seemed to be working. Because when they were off the when they were off the court, there was no chance Oklahoma was scoring any points, and that was basically did them in in that Virginia game. That's but at the same time, sure they won that Ole Miss game. I'm really happy for Miles Reynolds and Aaron Kalixty, two grad transfers that had never played in the NCAA tournament in their lives, come to OU for a season and get that experience, and not only get that experience, but they get a chance to win a game and then go into the round of 32. And after they lost to Virginia, I was disappointed because I just thought Oklahoma just didn't make enough shots. I didn't think Virginia played particularly that well. No, Virginia played very poorly, I thought, on Sunday night. And uh, yeah, uh, they're lucky yeah. that OU did not shoot better from three. And I know that maybe some basketball people would say, well, listen, there's a reason why they didn't play that well. Oklahoma, they didn't make shots because Virginia's defense is so good. But, you know, I, I know that's, that's part of it. But these basketball players, I mean, when you're in the gym all the time and you're taking all these shots, I mean, when you get open looks, make them. I mean, that's just it's just the same idea as I guess you could say the same thing as baseball. I mean, you take all these cuts in the cage and off the tee and but baseball is more difficult. I mean, that's why you only hit 300 and you're in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you get a wide open three. You're a D1 college player. Come on, make it like make them make them more than you miss them. But I know it's a lot more difficult than it is. So I guess but I do want to say that I'm, I'm happy for Miles Reynolds and his reaction afterwards. Like, I mean, he was. I mean, he the tears were flowing, and in the locker room, I mean, the tears were. I mean, he, it really meant a lot to him. And after that game, I kind of was like, I kind of shrugged it off, like, well, OU, they, they just they could never really get into it. They never really had a chance after halftime, like whatever. But then I saw his interviews and his how emotional he was, and I kind of, I kind of started to feel it a little bit. I was like, you know what? I'm happy for him. I'm happy he got that experience. And I really wish they would have won because I know he, he cared so much about it, and that was just kind of refreshing to see because he. He loved it, man, and he really enjoyed his year at Oklahoma. So I don't know if you had those same thoughts when it came to to Reynolds, but I certainly saw him. And it, it's even worse because he, he took an elbow to, to the eye the day before in practice, and so like his right eye was all puffy. He could, couldn't even see out of it, really. So I just it was kind of like an image where it's like, gosh, I just I feel for that guy. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad he was able to get a win. Um, that's, that's cool. Like I, 
you know, when when you have two grad transfers who come from mid majors and they they say their sole reason for coming here so they can get to the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm glad that they were able to to realize that and get there. I'm looking at the box score lead. The Sooners were eight of twenty two from three. Um, so they actually came out a little bit it's better. It's actually not that bad. Yeah, it's, it's not just, terrible. It, you, you know, know what, now that you mentioned that, I remember it's it's the yeah, it was the non three pointers that they just they took yeah, they, they took some bad mid range shots and Yeah, see here's the ah oh, man, if I was um if I was Lon Kruger and yeah, I, I have some pretty interest I you know, maybe some different basketball thoughts than other people. Um, I, I'm the type of person who thinks that you should never take a two point jump shot unless there's one second on the shot clock. Um, and so it drives me absolutely insane when Christian Doolittle takes that jump shot just inside the three point line. Um, if I was Lon Kruger, I'd be in Christian Doolittle's ear all off season long, step back one foot and start taking threes only. I, I, I cannot stand two point jump shots. So you're basically in the Mike D'Antoni camp of yes. just, you should threes and threes and layups. Twos. Threes, threes and, and layups. layups. It's all it should be. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, generally, I'm kind of with you on that too. I, I and just, that's I how that's how Oklahoma of, is going to be able to compete on an elite level in college basketball um, on a consistent basis. They just need they need to just be finding three and D guys all day long. That's all they need to be doing. And I know I know that's what everyone wants. And I know they're not everywhere, but um, you know that that really should just kind of be the way that they you know mold their program in my opinion but i'm sure there's probably some guys who are more more uh more into basketball who are just laughing <laughs> saying, at me saying who the hell is this oh, yeah. guy i think he is <laughs> yeah not an ou basketball podcast no not definitely not, not an ou basketball podcast mm-hmm. so don't uh don't put a whole lot of stock into our basket. i mean here's the thing like, this be, like i work in sports like i'm no i'm no expert by any means but i mean i'm not an idiot when it comes to basketball I, that's like the sport I watch second most compared to football but uh and also I will contend that basketball is not that complicated kind of like football it's you put the ball in the hoop I mean you move your feet on defense I, I don't know you're in good shape you don't take bad shots like I so anyways I can I, think, I, can yeah. I have one more thought on college basketball just in general <laughs> um sure the you know hey Zion Williamson is is really good. So d- nobody take me out of context here, okay? He's he's very good. He is the best player in college basketball. Having that been said, the there are just so many people in the media who are prisoners of the moment. It's insane. The amount of times that I've seen people re- uh, refer to Zion Williamson as the best college basketball player since Patrick Ewing or Christian Leitner or all that stuff... My goodness, they need to get their heads out of the sand right now. They've completely forgot about Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, Blake Griffin, who in the last decade have all been better players than Zion Williamson at the college level. It's absolutely insane. Everyone needs to calm down. That is all. Thank you. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that one. And I talk to people that I respect their basketball opinions because they know more about the game than I do. And, and they, they're all in on Zion, too. I mean, they're just – so I'm always just kind of like – I. I'm with you though. I'm I'm more timid when it comes to it. I mean, I he's he's six seven. He's a little undersized. I know he's he's not a terrible shooter, but he's not really known for his shooting, and that'll probably improve over time. And I know that the big thing with him is everyone just loves how explosive he is, and like he, you know, I'm sure he he plays bigger than he really is. And okay, that's great. And I'm sure he's. I, I agree with you. He's the best player in college basketball. But is that gonna? I mean, it's gonna translate to the NBA. But is he gonna? I mean, people. There's like talking points on these 
these shows like, oh, is he already a top? What did I see the other day? Like, is he already a top 50 NBA player? Maybe maybe it was like top 20 NBA player or something like that. It's like, come on. Are you kidding me? Like, based on what? I So uh, I tend to agree with you on that one. But at the same time, a lot of these NBA and these basketball guys, people that I trust, their opinion, they, they seem to really be all in. And I don't know enough about it to really come back with a good rebuttal. You know, aside All I know from, is I that there was, there was a bunch of big-time NBA people who at this time, like three years ago, were all in on Jalil Okafor over Carl Anthony Towns. Those Ooh. people were morons. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good callback. This, ha- this happens more in, in basketball than any other sport. So, John Morant is, is a better NBA prospect than Zion Williamson. So, I'm, I'm saying it right now. Calling your shot? Yes. Um, and, yeah, I, and I know I'm biased, but just the complete whitewashing – of the 2008-2009 Blake Griffin season, to me, is just very sad. It I've, is very offensive. It's, it's offensive. It's, he he was, was so, so insanely dominant, dominant that season. Um, car- single-handedly carried that team basically to the Elite Eight and to like a, up t- as to high as a number two rating. Zion Williamson has three other lottery picks on his team. Get out of here with is this Is it three crap. or two? It, two or three. Who cares? It doesn't matter. They have a bunch of five-star players on their team. And I know the argument that people use, though, is like, yeah, that's true, but whenever Zion was out, Duke was kind of lost, and those other five, you know, those five-star lottery picks, it, it clearly, like, they were good, but Zion, you know, Zion comes back, and he's the key to everything, which I suppose is a decent argument, but but man, I mean, I yeah, I the, the point is, yeah, Blake Griffin was so darn dominant, and he he killed everyone in that NCAA tournament and the only reason why they weren't able to go any further is because they ended up going up against a really good North Carolina team that had a lot of NBA players on that team and, and Oklahoma had one NBA player yeah, and and I just also and yeah obviously I, I you know love that season from Blake Griffin but just and to bring up just the others the Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns who I mean just because they were on loaded teams and they only played like 20 minutes per game for some reason because John Calipari is kind of stupid but um, I mean those guys in the, in, 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 the, in the 20 minutes that they played were were utterly dominant much more dominant than anything Zion's done and I just it, it just it bugs me and he was he is, he is the best player in college basketball this season people are prisoners of the moment I'm not even so sure he's a better college player than Trey Young <laughs> okay uh, and again I I really appreciate the strong opinions I just don't really have any of any of them in this certain spots well let's leave it at that we've we've run the clock out here on west of everest we'll be back next week at some point we'll look at the ou media schedule maybe we'll push it back a day maybe we'll do regular time stay tuned to the west of everest facebook page for updates on that we appreciate all the support again if you're listening to this and this is one of the first times we appreciate you to lift up your phone leave us a rating and or a review on itunes it always uh, helps us out in the itunes rankings and we really appreciate the feedback Uh, Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.